Well, amen. You may have noticed in your order of worship this morning, I want to mention this because it is a ministry point, a little change there where the evening service normally is. Today there is a list of Grace Baptist Family Prayer Focus. That'll be there each week uh, as we put that together for us to have a prayer guide through the week. I hope you'll take it and use it. The very top there, four families listed there, four member units of our church. Uh, that does not mean that uh, all the Adams are really having difficult times right now and, and pray for them uh, or that the Allens are or, or any of those, but it's just to give us some names. You know, we've, we've talked about in the past praying through the church directory, and I don't know if you use that or not as a tool to do that, to pray for church, but we're going to kind of help you focus on that a little bit uh, each week. So about four or five names or families will be listed there and take that and use it as a prayer guide during the coming week. Then there's Specific prayers for our church. Again, pray for God to guard the unity of our church. That's not there because there's a threat to it at the moment, but we're supposed to pray for that at all times. And so we want to keep that foremost in our prayers. Our community, our work at Colonial Village and Hope Way, our missionaries, the Wolf Zorns in, uh, in the Middle East, and then our, our Peru mission that we carry on uh, year-round down in uh, the Chanque River Valley. So those will be just points of ministry and points of prayer that we would like for you to be praying for. So be sure you take that and use it each week. Don't just leave it laying here on your chair. That'll be a great prayer guide. Take your Bibles now and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. As we continue our study in this great book, uh, we come to a point where uh, really he's summarizing a lot based on what he's already said. He starts out with therefore. And so we understand when therefore is there, it, it's there for a purpose. It's there to point back to what has just been talked about. And, and the writer has just come off of a tremendous discussion uh, of the new covenant. The fact that in Christ now, through his death on the cross, there has been established a new covenant in his blood that is completely unlike the old covenant. The old covenant was a foreshadowing. It was a picturing of that which was yet to come. But in this new covenant, we have new blessings and new graces in Christ Jesus. We have a covenant whereby if you're in the covenant, you know God. There is a relationship established. We have in this new covenant the fact that his law is not just on some a set of stone tablets, but his law is written on our hearts and on our minds. In other words, there's an internal motivation by the presence of his Holy Spirit to know his law and obey his truth and, and follow through on that. And in this new covenant, all our sins are forgiven. And he says he will, he will forgive our sins and he will remember them against us no more. They're gone, they're obliterated, they're forgiven, they're dealt with in the cross of Christ. Now, this new covenant is a tremendous relationship that God has given to those who he has adopted into his family. I love these songs we sang this morning. You know, all I have is Christ and, and you made us your own. And then these great hymns like Blessed Assurance and, and And Can It Be. I mean, all of these point to the fact that this new covenant is a relationship that is almost unbelievable. When, when Wesley penned those words to And Can It Be, I hope as you sing that, you, you can hear the astonishment, the amazement that Wesley is feeling. Can it be that Christ, my God, has died for me? I mean, can it be that that's the truth? Can it be that that's a reality? It's almost beyond his imagination that that could be true. 
But the writer of Hebrews says to you and me, that is true. That is something you can rest secure in. That's something that you can know. That's something that you can be established in. Christ has established that relationship by his death, burial, and resurrection. So he comes to this passage where he talks about really a, a summation of the new covenant and how it relates to you and me. I don't know if we'll exhaust everything this week I want to talk about in this passage or not. As a matter of fact, we'll probably come back to it two weeks from today. But I, I want you to look at this, and I want you to get a feel for this, because it is a tremendous statement for every believer, for every Christian. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience that our, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day, the day drawing near. The day is the day of judgment. The day is the day of the end of all things as we know it. The coming of the Lord, his return uh, to separate his own from the world, to declare his own, his, his eternal own, and to go with him forever into heaven, and the judgment to come upon those who don't know him. He said, listen, all these things are important in light of the day drawing near. And he wants us to cling to that. He wants us to, wants us to understand that. And he wants us to live in light of that. In this passage, there are several things I want you to notice this morning by way of introduction to it particularly. First of all, I want you to see that we have two great possessions. As believers, in this new covenant relationship, we have two great possessions that are ours, that we can cling to. The first thing we have is that it's perhaps the greatest possession that all the world could ever know, and that is we have access to God. We have total, free, full, glorious access to the living God. We as mere mortals, we as people who were, as the song we sang about earlier, were rebels to his cause, were rebels to his truth, wanted nothing to do with him, rebelled against him, disobeyed him. But we who now were rebels but are now in Christ Jesus, we have access to the living God, full and glorious access into his presence. The thing this writer wants us to understand this morning and the thing he's going to try to drive home to each of us is is that you as a believer don't need a priest. You don't need an intermediary. You don't need a, another mediator. You now have Christ Jesus, our great high priest. Enter into God's presence when you will and do it often and do it always. He says we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ. The holy place where God dwells. The holy place where he is. The holy place where his throne is established for all of eternity. You know, for, 
for many believers, for many of those who profess Christ and, and claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ, that really is a that really is sort of a, an issue that they don't understand how to deal with. Oh, we know that we don't go to a priest to pray, and we know that we don't, we don't have to offer sacrifices any longer to have access to him, that his blood has cleansed our consciences, his blood has made us clean, his blood has set us free. But it goes into a very practical thing for everyday living that we as Christians should be drawing near every day to the throne of God's grace. We should be worshiping him every day that we live, in everything that we do. You know, when I prayed earlier in the pastoral prayer, I prayed that one of the real effects of our being together this morning would be that when we go out those doors, we go out those doors worshiping. So often we come and we say, we, we worship here, we spend an hour in worship, and we do, we sing songs that focus on God and his grace and his glory and the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, and we revel in that, we rejoice in that, we sing heartily in that, but when we leave this place, that worship ought not end. When we leave this place, what we did here ought to just stimulate us. It ought to just stir us up to worship him all the more when we leave this place, to draw near to him in prayer, to draw near to him in fellowship, to draw near to him in communion, in everything that we do. Whether you're on the job tomorrow, in school, or, or whether you're sitting in your home, there ought to be an attitude of, of acknowledging his presence and knowing his presence and, and, and worshiping him wherever you are. We, we have that possession of access to God. And then secondly, he makes clear that we have a, another great possession, and that is we have, and we've already talked about this, a great high priest over the house of God. And remember, this is not the house of God, this building. The house of God is God's people. Peter says, we are living stones built up into the house of God, built up into a holy temple. We are his place of dwelling and indwelling in his people every day. And we have a high priest who is over this house of God, who is continually making intercession for us, the scripture says, who is continually interceding on our behalf. I mean, we have access to God and a high priest who is our advocate before God at all times. Those are two great possessions that this new covenant gives us and those are great because out of that great high priest comes his his sacrifice of offering for our sin there's the forgiveness this great high priest interceding for us is forever praying for us John 17 if you go back and read that high priestly prayer in the garden before his arrest and ultimate crucifixion you find Jesus praying there for the disciples and they're all around him those those 11 that were still there Judas having already departed and he prays and he prays for them and he prays specific things for them that they'll live in abundance and accordance with his truth that they will love one another that their joy his joy will be made perfect in them praise all those things for them and then he says and I pray not only for these but also for all those who will believe according, because of their work because of their word and that's you and me so 2,000 years ago in the garden Jesus was praying for us but the scripture tells us that even today he continues in that intercessory role as our great high priest 
I think there are three things this new and living way calls us to that, that the writer talks about here. And, and they're, they're fairly obvious there. He says in verse 22 that we are called to a life of worship. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says I, I, we are called to a life of worship. We Baptists, perhaps as bad as anybody else, have, have segmented our lives into the sacred and the secular. We, we've kind of divided everything out, put them in neat, neat little boxes. And on Sunday morning when we get up and get all dressed up and get ready and we, we go down to the church, which we see as a building many times, and this is our sacred time, and it ought to be. But once we leave those doors, instead of leaving, realizing the sacred is still a part of our life, the sacred is still who we are in Christ Jesus, we walk out those doors and we sort of take off our sacred coat and put on our, sac uh, our secular coat and say, now we have moved beyond, we've moved beyond the worship. We've worshipped so that we can face the secular. We've worshipped so that we can be rejuvenated and re-empowered that we might face whatever's out there. And I say to you, there is an element of truth to that, but we are rejuvenated, we are built up, we are strengthened in corporate worship together that our individual worship, that our time with God alone out there might be deeper. And we're called to a life of worship, drawing near every single day, drawing near every time we think about his goodness and his glory, drawing near with full assurance of faith because we have been sprinkled by his blood, washed with pure water, which is the blood of Christ. This passage calls us on the basis of the new covenant to a life of worship. Do you look for the way God is working in just ordinary areas of your life? Do you think about how God is, is, is manifesting himself in, in the circumstances that you're brought into? Or do you just feel like, oh, well, that was, a, that was good luck? Well, I was lucky in that area. Boy, I was lucky that that happened. Or do you see the, 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 the providence of God at work to bring about his good and his glory and your good in your life? You might know him and walk with him, not just an hour or two hours a week, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. The new covenant calls us to a life of worship. It also calls us to a life of truth in verse 23. He said, let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What in the world is the confession of our hope? On, the, on Sunday evenings, we've been studying through the Apostles' Creed as a confession of faith. We've talked about the earliest confession in the Bible. In the New Testament is, Jesus is Lord. I mean, I mean that's, a, that's just a simple confession of faith. And here he talks about, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. The imagery there is, is astonishing. 
let us hold fast. The word picture there that he's drawing in the original language is let us cling tenaciously to. Let us hold on for dear life to this confession. Let us cling to it in such a way that we would never let it go. We would never cease to hold to it. We would never cease to confess it and to believe it. Let us hold forth. And then he says, do it without wavering, without maybe today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe not this week, but sometime I'll pick it back up again. No, he says, Cling to, cling to this confession of your hope, this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is your great high priest, that in his death, burial, and resurrection, the new covenant has been established, and by God's grace, you are in that covenant, adopted into his family, made one of his family. That is a great condition of confession. And as we look at that, we realize that, that we are called to a life of truth. The confession is the truth. Jesus prayed in that high priestly prayer, Father, I pray that you will sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So there's the confession of Christ as Lord that flows out of the confession of sola scriptura, that the scripture is where we find Christ's lordship, where we understand Christ's lordship. So the confession of hope, the confession that we cling to, is believing in God, believing in his Son who has redeemed us by his own blood, and believing in his revelation, his word, that teaches us the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are leading us into this life of worship and obedience in this new covenant. A life of truth. A life that will stand for the truth. That a life will, that will defend the truth. That will not cower in the presence of error. I like how Jude put it in his little book there toward the end of the New Testament. We talked about this a little bit on, on Wednesday night. As Jude was bringing a very brief comment to those to whom he was writing, he said in verse 3, he said, Beloved, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. But I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Or as King James says, which was once for all delivered to the saints. You hear Jude's word there? He says, I, I, I desire, I appeal to you that you contend earnestly. It's a defense of the word. And Wednesday night we talked about how we have to uphold the word which in turn upholds us. As we understand it, as we live in it, as we study it, as we abide by it, as we let God speak to us through his word, as he does by the power of his Holy Spirit, we then contend for that word, that this is God's ultimate, absolute truth. Now let me tell you, in our day, that's a tough thing to say. Because there are a lot of people out there who will laugh at that. And if you say it, they'll laugh at you. And they'll say, you can't be so narrow-minded as to believe that only the, only the Bible and only Christ and only, only Jesus is the only way. You can't believe that's the truth. We live in such a pluralistic, such a, uh, such a diverse culture. How can you be so narrow-minded? Because it's the truth. Because God has spoken. Because God has revealed himself in his Son. 
because God has redeemed us for his own and made us his own, adopted us into his family. And folks, our lives are to be lives of truth as well as lives of worship. So the third thing he talks about here, and that is he calls us to a life of loving community. Now I've got to tell you, verse 25 is the most favorite verse in all the Bible for most preachers. Matter of fact, so much so that we usually neglect the rest of it and just hone in on verse 25. Because, see, that, that reminds you that you're supposed to come to church. And so we like to lock in on that some and say, oh, yeah, but you're laying out. Let me remind you not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some. And by saying that, we're saying to those who we say it to, it's your habit. Quit it. And it's true. That's what he is saying that we are to assemble ourselves together regularly and faithfully. That's why we talk about being here a covenant community, a covenant family. We're not just a, a bunch of people who just said one day, oh, I think I'll join Grace Baptist Church. I'll just be a part of Grace Baptist Church until I get tired of that or, 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 or somebody upsets me or, or, or I don't like something the preacher says and then I'll... Go out of here. No, you sign a covenant that says, I'm committed to this body. I'm committed to the well-being of one another. And if there's conflict, if there's struggle, if there's hurt feelings, I will do all I can to bring a resolution to that. I won't run from it. A covenant community. A covenant community based on the new covenant of Jesus Christ that he has established with us. Now, the writer here makes it clear what kind of community it's to be. It, it, it's more than just a covenant community, although it is that, but it's also a loving community. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I wonder if you considered this morning, as you were preparing to yourself assemble yourselves together with this body, I wonder how I can encourage someone that God puts in my path, maybe sitting next to me, maybe in Sunday school. I wonder how I can encourage somebody. I wonder how I can stimulate someone to a greater love of the body and a greater love of the Lord. I wonder how I can, I, I can I'm considering how I can stimulate, how I can encourage them to good deeds, to obedience. When they go back out this week to do their work and to do whatever God has brought into their lives, I, I, wonder, I wonder how I can stimulate and encourage uh, people to love one another and do good deeds to one another and out in the world while we're coming together, while we're not forsaking our assembling together, but we're coming to encourage one another as we see the day of judgment drawing near. Do you think about that? Or do you do what I'm afraid is the habit of most? You get up and get ready to come to church and you ask the question, I wonder what I can get out of this today. Yeah, I wonder what I can get. I wonder if the, the Sunday school lesson will be something that I'll really enjoy. I wonder if the sermon, the singing will be something that I really like and I really want. I just wonder if it'll be a, a time where I can just kind of feel better and go out and feel good for a week till I come back. Or do you think about other people? 
That seems to be what the writer here is saying. That in the new covenant with Christ, in the new covenant that God has established and making this local new covenant covenant family, that our focus is not to be on ourselves. The focus is to be on one another. You go to the New Testament. You have all these one another passages. Love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, pray for one another, on and on and on. 30-something passages that talk about one another. Because that's what we're to be about when we come together. It's, it's to be a community, not just a gathering place. It's to be a family relationship, not just a bunch of children from a thousand different families that gather together. Consider. Think about. Ponder. How you might stimulate one another to love and to good deeds and encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. All the day is coming. And there are people out there that need to hear the gospel that you work next to and you, you play with and you have fellowship with and you do all sorts of things with. There are people out there that need to hear the gospel and need to know the Lord Jesus Christ who are facing a judgment that is Christless and thus it is eternally in hell. And you're, you're right next to them. Those good deeds of going out that we're stimulating one another to do is go out with the gospel. We have message. We have a message that is true. We have a message that is powerful. We have a message that redeems and changes lives. And, and we sit around and just sort of sit on it? Writer here says that's not living the new covenant life like God intends. A life of worship, a life of truth, and a life of loving community that filters out into this community and makes a difference. Not by doing, not by changing culture because we can somehow pass a law, but by changing culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speaking his truth. Speaking his word. There, there's an interesting flow to these verses. I, I don't know if you caught it as I read them or not, as we went through them again. But there are three words that kind of spring up, if you think about it, that the Apostle Paul dealt with in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. Remember those three words he said? He said, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Remember that? We always read that chapter so it's some kind of syrupy sentimentality. You know, we read it at weddings. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is da-da-da-da-da-da. Right on down the line. As though it were something that, that God just sort of stuck in there in the middle of whatever he's talking about just to kind of be sentimental. There's nothing sentimental about those verses. Those verses are about the Christian life. We have faith, we have hope, we have love if we're in Christ, 
and, and the greatest of these is the love that we have for one another and for the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that love, we go out into the community, we go out into the world, and we share that gospel of his truth. You know, I had somebody tell me not long ago, well, I, don't, I just don't love people like you, you want us to love people. I don't, I, you know, I, people get on my nerves. <laughs> just be a pastor for a few days. You know, I don't, I don't like people. I'm, a, I'm kind of an introvert. I just, I just kind of want to be in my house and read my books and do whatever I want to do. Friend, if I had my way, that's exactly what I would do. I've got a few books and a couple of hundred on my Kindle, and I could be happy. All right, next week on vacation, that's all I plan to do is read and eat some food. <laughs> but, but the point is, it's not what God's called us to do. Remember that story of, of, of Peter after the resurrection of Christ, after he had appeared, and he came down to the disciples by the, by the seaside, and he said, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, oh, you know I love you, Lord. He said, then feed my sheep. A few years later, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter's getting a little irritated now. He's already expressed this. Lord, you know I love you. Well, then if you love me, tend my lambs. One third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Peter said, Lord, there's no question about it. You know I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. I've always found it amazing that in those statements, Jesus never once asked Peter, Peter, do you love sheep? You see, the key to ministry, the key to evangelism, the key to missions is not that we love people. The key to it is, do you love him? Because if you love him, it changes your heart and changes your life and it gives you a ministry mindset and it gives you an evangelistic mindset not because you love the people but because you love the Lord and he said, if you love me, then go and do what I tell you to do. Faith, hope, and love. Do you see in this passage, the, the writer of Hebrews does the very same thing? He, he says in verse 22... Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is something that God kindles up within us. We believe, but, but it's something that God gives us. The, he makes us his own, and we believe him, and we trust in him. That faith is full assurance. If we are in Christ, we have that full assurance of faith, knowing that we're forgiven knowing that we've been washed. Faith is an important element of the Christian life, of the new covenant. Then in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Faith and hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not thinking maybe something will come about. Hope is the assurance of things that are yet unseen. It's the assurance of what God has said will be true. He goes on to say, for he who promised it is faithful. We may look around our world and we may say, man, our world is 
falling apart. Our country that we felt so secure in is, is all of a sudden not so secure economically, politically. Things are happening that five years ago we would have never thought would happen, but they're happening right now. Well, if your hope is in the government, if your hope is in the political system, if your hope is in things staying secure in this world, i got news for you. You have no hope. But if your hope is in Jesus Christ, if your hope is in the promises of God, if your hope is in Him who promised, who is always faithful, then you have reason for hope. To know that it will be done. And then in verses 24 and 25, we've already looked at it. Lastly comes love. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to what? Love. Stimulate one another to love. And to good deeds. Coming together to do that. Coming together to, to be equipped and edified and encouraged and built up. And then scattering to be obedient. whether it's scattering here in Somerset or scattering uh, here in Somerset like in Hope Way and, and Hope Way and Colonial Village or whether it's scattering for a period of time into Peru or whether it's just scattering into your neighborhood and into your work environment. We scatter to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, some won't hear. Well, that's not your problem. Your problem is, tell it. It's not your responsibility that they hear. It's your responsibility that you take it and that you share it. Remember Paul at Mars Hill, when they left there after that great message that Paul preached. I mean, it couldn't have been a better one. I can't imagine a better sermon. But when they left there, it said, some said, we'll hear you again. Some sneered. Some made fun of him. Some said, we'll hear you again. And others believed. There's always one of those three responses when we take the gospel. And we should never be surprised by any of them. I mean, we rejoice all the more when one believes. But we shouldn't be surprised if there's jeering, if there's pondering, That's our mission. That's our call. And, and that's what the writer here is saying about this new and living way that is in Christ Jesus. In verse 20, by a new and living way which he inaugurated. We didn't do this ourselves. He inaugurated it and took us through the veil. That is his flesh. Now, if I had another hour or so, or half hour even, we'd talk more about what the veil means when it says the veil that is his flesh. We'll save that for two weeks for today. What does it mean? Why does, why does the writer here, don't you think about this, for two weeks, why does the writer emphasize his flesh? There's a, there's a very important reason. and We dare not miss it. Would you do something? Would you think about these things this week? As a believer, would you ponder 
these verses, 19 through 25, read them again several times and think about what God is saying to you as an individual and to us as Grace Baptist Church on the basis of that. Use it alongside your prayer guide that's in your bulletin. Just think about how God wants to use you here and out there. Taking the sacred out into the secular. As his ambassador, as his spokesman of truth and of worship. Let's pray. Father, as we bow in your presence, dear Lord, we are grateful for this new covenant. We are grateful for this new and living way that you have established and called us to. And Father, at times we are ashamed that we don't ponder it and how we can encourage one another and love one another and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. But Father, more than being ashamed, we ask you this morning to accept our repentance of that and our turning away from that. And Father, I pray each of us will turn to your call, your new covenant, your commands, your instructions as to how we're to live in a pagan world. Because we dare not try to deceive ourselves. We live in America in a pagan world. Where all sorts of idols are worshipped every moment of every day that distract from the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you, as you have made us your own, that you make us faithful ambassadors for the gospel of Christ everywhere we go. Thank you, Father. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.